0: This should be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go A little light man, here. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 103.7 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. We're, we're, we're finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Oh! Get ready, because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game.
1: And welcome everyone to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. It's not quite a glorious Saturday morning, because, well, the Astros did lose last night. But at the end of the day, when you have everything, and you wake up this morning, and you stand outside in the middle of this beautiful weather. It is definitely, without a doubt, football weather. Even after a tough loss for the Houston Astros last night, I'm still feeling good, and of course, we're coming to you live right here from the first South Farm Credit Studios And, of course, appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so, be it through the Tower of Power that is the FM dial. Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Ooh, yeah. And we got a lot of things to get to. Obviously, we got that to get to. We've got some LSU conversation to get to a little bit later on in the show. We got Astros. We got Cajuns. All kinds of stuff going on. I'd say it's so much to cover. I don't know how we're going to be able to get to it in the next two hours.
2: And we got a lot to cover. There's good news and bad news. The bad news is we're not going to get to it all right here, right now. But the good news is, is I got the time.
1: Oh, you're damn right we got the time. I know we got the Cajuns-Texas State game coming up. And if you're out there tailgating, appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to enjoy A little bit of Under the Dome with CD. Maybe you can listen to it while you're at Cajun Field. You know, we'll give you updates in hour number two of what's going on. Maybe a little more frequent than some other places will. Make sure you keep tabs on that. We got a great show planned for you, but it's time to kind of get down to brass tacks and get to what's causing all this on a Louisiana Saturday morning with your Saturday Sports Sermon.
0: The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Hold testify! It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon.
1: And speaking of those Louisiana Raging Cajuns, last week I mentioned during this very program that after Coastal Carolina's loss to App State last week, they'd more likely than not be out of the top 25 polls. A lot of chaos happened, including a head-scratching loss. In nine overtimes, by Penn State to Bert Belemas, excuse me, Brad was fighting Illini. And after Thursday night, Thursday night's game against the Red Wolves, many began to think that the Raging Cajuns were on the cusp of being back in the top twenty-five. After that, Coastal Carolina loss to App State, it felt like they were going to be, if not twenty-five, maybe twenty-four. And then you have, you know, the exact opposite happen. Yeah, the exact opposite happened. You had Coastal Carolina, the Chanticleers, ranked 24th come Sunday afternoon. BYU, meanwhile, stood at 25th. And the Cajuns were standing at 2nd in the much maligned ARV. Also receiving votes, a place they always kind of land, they've landed on. The last couple of years never quite been able to crack it prior to towards the tail end of last season with the win over App State. The way they ended the season. I mean, hell, they managed to get into it for much of the 2020, 2020 slate before Coastal Carolina knocked them out for a hot minute then they bounced back and kind of took care of business because of the fact that they beat an Iowa State team that was markedly better. But it makes me wonder, is the AP Top 25 flawed? For what it's worth, it's been something that's been stuck in my crawl for a long time, and it's been something that's been there all week, especially. Because if we're just going off of basic metrics of what each team did in the last week. On one hand, it's understandable why the Raging Cajuns didn't get in. They were big favorites in the contest against Arkansas State, and they hung on for dear life and barely beat a Red Wolves team that has underwhelmed in year one under Butch Jones. He's going to help, he's going to bring this program into hopefully a more competitive form in the next couple of years, but of course we can't wait for that. We've got to get to the here and now. But seriously, how does Coastal Carolina get the benefit of the doubt after losing to an unranked App State team? How does that happen? So like, on one metric, I understand it. On the other, it doesn't make sense. You're going to say because this team lost by the same margin the Cajuns won by on Saturday against a lesser opponent, that doesn't allow them to get in. You have to have more style points is what that speaks to me about when it comes to the top 25 and the Cajuns in terms of the old eyeball test. But you look at, I hate to kind of bring this up because it feels cliche, I've brought this up many a time, going back to LSU's loss to Troy a few years ago where I made the joke that Troy beat LSU, Troy lost to South Alabama, South Alabama lost to the Cages, that the Cages are better than LSU by the law of transitive properties. And it doesn't amount to a hill of beans when it comes to that old eyeball test a lot of those voters have, but for the sake of conversation, The Cajuns dominated App State, and then the Mountaineers beat the the Shonts in a tight one. The Shontagliars get way too much benefit of the doubt on a lot of these different things. Because the Cajuns, by that measure, are markedly better than Coastal Carolina. Now, maybe we'll never get to learn what that actually means because of the fact that you had Coastal Carolina lose and more likely than not, they could have very well have played themselves out of the Sun Belt title game if things stay the way they are. Of course, if App State loses another game somewhere down the road, the conversation changes in a big way. But you got to remember, this isn't like a Clemson program that was ranked heading into the season, top five, and then lost a the tough one to Georgia. And they stayed ranked highly, then they lost another one, and they stayed somehow in the top 25. It just makes me wonder how much reputation plays a role into this. But then Coastal, you know, barely has a reputation of being a team that's a consistent winner, a team that's good enough to be put into the top 25. Yes, they have a win over a Big 12 team, but we're talking about a Kansas team. A Kansas team that obviously the conference, it's a Kansas football program not Kansas basketball there's a very different thing yes the Jayhawks kept competitive against Oklahoma early on last Saturday but that was the same Sooners team that was having a hard time against Tulane Tulane I mentioned it in my column over on 10370game.com CDs cover two that the Oklahoma Sooners are probably the most suspect team that's going to be in potentially in that field of four when the college football playoff rankings come out All depends on how they do this weekend, but that's going to be determined hopefully in the next few weeks. But you can't compare that to what the Cajuns did against a team like Iowa State last year that wound up being ranked pretty highly when it was all said and done and definitely was admirable. But I'm just wondering what will it take for a team like the Cajuns that has had like consistent years of building up to this moment yeah those eight and four years where you felt like you could have been but you just didn't have that signature you didn't have that signature win and didn't build a reputation don't forget that it's been about five years like in for coastal carolina to come from the fcs to the fbs and there's a big difference between that coastal carolina team and when app state came over in 2014 app state was still riding the high off of beating michigan in 07 that moment will always be their calling card. They were coming off of that and we're still a really good program and jumped into the Sunbelt and transitioned extremely well. Coastal Carolina has been a case of consistently inconsistent, mind you, that was because of the coaching changes and some of the stuff that was going on at the time with Joe Moglia then jumping back to Jamie Chadwell and then going back to moglia and now you're sticking with Chadwell unless somebody snipes him up when it's all said and done. After the season, I think Chadwell definitely has a strong case to getting the job. But I just, it's a lot like at the beginning of the year. I said it a lot. I think Cajuns fans could agree with me here. That the Cajuns need to be acknowledged. It's time for AP, not to acknowledge this as the tribal chief, but just acknowledge that we're there. Acknowledge me. Seriously, all you have to do is put us in the top 25. Yes, the Cajuns could have gotten more convincing wins, but to me the top 25 isn't an Olympic contest like diving or synchronized swimming or figure skating or snowboarding or skateboarding or whatever. It's not that kind of sport. It's not the X Games where it's all determined on how you do in terms of a for the most part, a lot of those voters aren't watching every single game on the schedule. They're looking at the scores. They're looking at who won and who lost. I think sometimes that plays a bigger factor. I guarantee you, you're probably not seeing, you know, Alabama's beat writer that's on the AP Top Twenty Five poll, and he's one of the voters. I don't think he's, wa- he's watched the Cajuns. Even once this year, maybe the Texas game, but I'm almost certain he isn't watching it. He's watching his team. You know, I don't think you'll be. You're seeing Michigan's team, Michigan's beat rider that's part of the AP Top 25 poll or whoever. One of those guys. He's not out there saying, "Hey, this is some good stuff." This Cages team is really good. He's not necessarily watching. He's going based off of the eyeball test and yes the eyeball test isn't great but you gotta say there's nothing in the rule books and, and the voting it's a it's a general bias I think about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and it's time to shatter that bias and maybe this afternoon a big win over Texas State that has a, a team that only has one loss against the Longhorns to open up the year that shouldn't keep you out of the treehouse acknowledge me that's all we ask is for you to acknowledge us ap you're gonna acknowledge me that's kind of where i stand on all this all right it's under the tone with cd right here on 1037 the game and before we take a quick time out obviously we've got a lot of things to get to in the world of high school football it's the penultimate week of the regular season it's largely in the books in the acadiana area and we'll recap that action next and then we're going to have Jacques Doucet of WAFB joining the program at 10 30, talking about the state of LSU, who he thinks could be the next head coach of the Tigers, and so, so much more. So make sure you keep it locked right here on 1037thegame, 1037thegame.com, the free mobile app, smart speakers, any way you can listen to us. Make sure you do so. We'll be back after this on 1037 game.
0: From the preps to the pros and everywhere in between. I gave it
1: a 10. A A 10.
0: Let's get back under the dome with the world-famous CD on Acadiana's Sports Station. 103.7 The Game.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. Oh, I'm not going to do that ever again. But welcome back to Under the Dome with the world famous CD on this mischief morning. Obviously, tonight is the night before Halloween. That usually means mischief night. But over here in the Acadian area, I think it definitely means the penultimate week of high school football. We're nearing the end game, people. And got to give a lot of credit to the LHSA Because we are actually getting that much closer. We haven't had a whole lot of COVID cancellations, which is a great thing. It's a phenomenal thing, I would say, considering where things felt like they were and where they could have very well have gone by the end of the season. But thankfully, we are at this point in time to where the playoffs are on the horizon. With one week left in high school football in the regular season, Let's go ahead and take a look back at what happened with week nine in the Acadiana area. It's going to be a tough fiscal ball game. And we got to start off with Acadiana High. The Wrecking Rams continue to be a buzzsaw through a 3 5 8 district that looks to be a little bit on a down year right now. Southside Sharks, excuse me, Acadian High beats Bar 42 0. Southside Sharks, they continue to roll. Five of their last six. We'll get to them in a in a few. Southside beats Como 34-13. Sulfur beats New Iberia 34-20. Lafayette High beats Sam Houston 40-30. Eunice beats North Vermilion 32-7. Washington Marion beats Lagrange 34-6. Liberty Magnan out of Baton Rouge. Takes down Rain. 23-22 in overtime. Liberty had a Liberty was down at half, but came back in the second, tied it up. 16 all, and this wound up going to overtime, and Liberty comes out on top. Another Liberty Flames, Liberty Magnet. St. Thomas Moore beats Carrick 35-28. Same kind of thing. St. Thomas Moore was on the ropes, but were able to kind of come back and win and get a huge win to get over 500 for the first time this season. Westgate beats Northside 58-8. St. Martinville beats Turlings. What's happened to the Rebels? They were... Undefeated, heading into district play, and since then, not a great look. St. Martinville beats Turlings 41-32. Beauchene beats Albany 44-30. Opelousas beats Borough Bridge 18-12. Cecilia beats Lavonia in a high-scoring game, 62-20, your final there. Church Point dominates Mamou 61-0. Iota beats Northwest 43-16. Pine Prairie. Beats Platte 54-12. Abbeville beats Kaplan in a low-scoring contest, 12-6. We'll get to them in a few. Erath defeats Crowley, 39-30. St. Martinville beats Turlings, 41-32. A game that was canceled, not due to COVID based off of what I'm reading. But LCA, Jefferson Rise Charter, that was canceled last night. Due to apparently some injuries on the team, to where they weren't able to field a field a team, so it wasn't a COVID forfeit, more of injuries. At least that's what I've been reading and what I've been hearing. Gonna be completely off base, but I'm sticking to my guns and sticking to what I was reading on the Twitter from guys like Koki Riley and Hunter Bauer of Go Preps. Meanwhile. One game that did go down in District 6-2A was Notre Dame Lake Arthur. They shut them out 55 to nothing. Welsh got a forfeit win over Port Berry due to COVID. Then you have Lorville Ascension Episcopal and Lorville beats the Blue Gators 31-13, one step closer to securing a district title. Catholic New Iberia 42-6 win over Jennerette. Delcombe beats West Saint Mary 21-19. Homer Christian beats Ben Franklin 21 to nothing. Franklin was actually off this week, so they they had, they had no game to speak of. Catholic High Point, Kapi beat North Central 56-26. Opelous is Catholic, beat Sacred Heart 14-6. They are your 6 one a district champs. And an 8-1, excuse me, one more, 8 one a 6 one a was Thursday Night Football. St. Ed's beats Westminster Christian 28-8. St. Ed's getting it done on their front. Hans Memorial beats Centerville 28-0 in the 8-1A action. Central Catholic beats Highland Baptist 19-14, and Vermilion Catholic beats up on Covenant Christian 41 to nothing. By the way, we're, we're going to have Jacques Doucet on in about six minutes or so. Going to get his thoughts on the state of uh, the LSU Tigers program. But in the meantime, I want to get some overall takeaways from week number nine. And we're also going to talk a little bit about reclassification Because the LHSA said it's time to shake things up again. Earlier this week, releasing the reclassification notes. And there's a couple things I'll get to on that front, at least in the Acadian area. Because that's where a couple, I'm not saying like it's big, but it's pretty interesting headlines to kind of think about over the next couple weeks. And obviously we'll see some more confirmation in the next couple of weeks. And we'll be able to talk about it probably more in the summertime. Because everything's gonna be like redistrict in a lot of different ways. Especially when it comes to a pair of Acadia area teams. But first off, I want to talk about Southside. Shout out to them. I'm not saying they'll make a run to the Superdome, but they look like they could make a postseason run and actually look like a formidable team. I think this program is starting to put it together. Four straight district victories and have won five of the last six. Really impressive considering how new they still are to varsity football. Remember, Southside is a, in terms of the way things are in the Acadian area, and especially Lafayette, Louisiana, it is a pretty damn new school. So what Josh Fontenot has been doing has had this team looking really good. And again, we talked about it a moment ago. 3-5-8 for the most sport has been on a little bit of a down year. That's because Acadian High is just demolishing all of them. The Southside Sharks, meanwhile, are that team that's basically right behind Acadiana. The Wrecking rams are winning the district title. There's no doubt in my mind because they hold the tiebreaker over the Sharks. But I'll just say it. When the Sharks are in that playoff pool, you might just need to keep an eye on the waters because it could get pretty darn murky from that end. Meanwhile, Lorville, a nice statement win, 9-0 on the year with a 31-13 win over Ascension Episcopal. Ter- what Terry Martin's been doing, he that deserves a shout-out as well. And also, Evan Seymour, four touchdowns in the win. Definitely a great performance by Loreville And a win next week would not only secure the District 7-2A crown outright for the first time in a long time, it's been even longer since they had a perfect season, undefeated. 1998 was the last time that happened. So playoff times will be a lot of fun over in Lorville. Meanwhile, the Abbeville Wildcats, one of the big success stories in the Vermilion Parish. That was last night's Vermilion Parish Game of the Week. Abbeville taking on Kaplan, the battle for the Russo Trophy. And this is one of the oldest rivalries in the entire parish. And this was a game where, after what I've seen all year on the Vermilion Parish Game of the Week and heard it on 106.3 Radio Lafayette, it's been very much high-scoring, back-and-forth, incredible like offensive displays. This was not that. It was a 12-6 win for the Abbeville Wildcats, bringing home the Russo Trophy for the first time since 2005. For context, I was a junior in high school when that happened, and that that character team that year, not necessarily the greatest. It was a little bit of a rebuilding year because they were coming off of two straight years ago and Lucas Taylor, one of the best players, just all-around quarterbacks that the K, that the Golden Bears ever had. Yeah, he was just phenomenal. But you have these two teams tied nothing-nothing at the break. Both teams exchanged scores, but a big play from Abbeville was the difference late. And again, 2005 was the last day they brought back that trophy. And Abbeville's been a pretty darn good team this year. They headed into district play undefeated, slipped up, in week six against St. Martinville, but they've been able to kind of like build off of that week in and week out and make those corrections. So like they beat Crowley a couple weeks ago, they beat Rayville week eight, week nine, they do this. Week 10 is going to be pretty fun to see how Abbeville kind of closes out in that in a pretty interesting district with Kaplan. You'll be seeing those two teams, the Eraf facing off this time next week. So that'll be a lot of fun to see how those two teams shake out. And more importantly, seeing how much more improved this Abbeville team can be. Because it's been a long time since they've been this good. It's been a long time. We talked about it a lot early on here. They were undefeated for the first time since 2005. Like they were 3-0 and for the first time in like 15, in like 13 years. That's insane to think about, but this team is starting to set things up really nicely. I do not get into all the reclassification stuff because there's too much time to kind of talk about all the minutiae, but I'll hit on, obviously, the two big headlines for Acadian area teams. Crow, according to the reclassification notes, they're going to move back up to 5A after spending the last several years, say it's been almost a decade, in Class 4A. They moved around districts because they were 4-4A, now they're 5-4A with the St. Thomas More, Turlings, Northside, and Westgate. Now, it'll be interesting to see how things go with 5A, because that is going to be an extremely bloated 3-5A, because you've got Barb, you've got Nish, Sulphur, Acadiana, Southside, Como, Lafayette High, and now Carrickrow. I'm not saying they're going to lop off Barb and Sulphur, but I feel like those two would probably be the first ones to kind of say, hey, we're going we're gonna to move on from you, in that perspective, because it's more like Charles area, but I'm just interested to see how that's going to turn out in terms of redistricting, because it's gonna be it's different than what it was. Obviously, you add in a program like Southside that changes the perspective of things. Meanwhile, one of the other big headlines is the fact that you have LCA. they are wanting to reclassify and move up. I've heard rumors. And again, that's all this is is rumors at this point in terms of where they could be getting called up. They do—they—they they have made a statement saying they want to reclassify and they want to move up. And the rumor in innuendo is they are thinking about moving up to 4A. I don't know if that's going to be what happens. I'm just giving you the idea of what they're saying. I feel like they could move up to 3A 4 now. And maybe in the next few years, attendance to at school continues to grow. Then they could get into 4A and be paired up with the STM and Turlings Catholics of the world, which would make for a 4A really fun 5-4A. Again, that's just the way I'm hearing things. It's the rumor innuendo of all this. Outside that, nothing real else is really popping off the page besides the big news about Edna Carr is potentially going to make the jump to 5A. From 4A, and there's a chance to be joining the Catholic League, which would be a massive coup for that district, and that would probably be one of the most entertaining districts in the entire state. But we'll kind of table that conversation for more down the road because it's too early to tell, and obviously, teams and schools have a chance to opt in or opt out or whatever, because there's a chance where things could change in a different way just based off of how everything else looks. But we're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to have on a man from across the basin, but he's a Cajun native, and that is Jacques Doucet of WAFB, going to talk the latest about Ed Ogeron and so much more. So keep it locked right here on 103.7 The Game. and 103.7thegame.com, you're listening to Under the Dome with CD.
0: Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp. But under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat. On Acadiana's Sports Station. 103.7 The Game.
1: And what an appropriate song to come back to here on the show. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. Where indeed have all the good times gone over at LSU. I mean, just two years ago, we were prepping for Joe Burrow's finest hour and one of the best wins in the history of the program over Alabama, leading to a national championship, and one of the best undefeated seasons in history. Nowadays, Joe Burrow's making the Bengals great for the first time in a good while, and now Ed Ozron is gearing up to no longer be the head coach at the end of the season. It's crazy to think about how much has changed in the last two years over across the basin, and to talk about that and more, we bring on the one, the only sports anchor for WAFB TV in Baton Rouge and the host of the podcast, Jacques Talk. That's Acadian native Jacques Doucet. Jacques, no long, long time, no talk. How you been?
3: Hey, Clint. good morning. Thanks for having me. Yes, perfect song, perfect band, Van Halen, Where Have All the Good Times Gone, a cover of The Kinks, by the way, Diver Down, the album, 1982. Way too much information, but there you are. But indeed, uh, Where Have All the Good Times Gone for LSU, and I try as I get older and cover this stuff to not speak in hyperbole, but... Really, LSU has gone from their greatest season ever to their worst time since 1999 within uh, two years. And it's uh, just a really rough uh, stretch here in Baton Rouge, despite the beautiful weather outside today.
1: Exactly. It's beautiful weather, but at the same time, you just know that the dark cloud that is LSU right now, especially in the football front, But going back a couple weeks ago, after the Florida game, what were your initial thoughts when you started hearing the stuff come out? And, of course, Ross Dellinger has to be the one to break the news. Ed Ozeron finishing out the year and is going to mutually part ways with the program.
3: Well, honestly, uh, on Friday before the Florida game, um, people that I trust and people that typically give me pretty good information were texting and calling and saying they had heard that Coach O had been told he was done. And he was out, and um, and then uh, you uh, you go into a game and you really get a uh, totally unexpected performance by LSU um, after the way they looked against Kentucky, which was a nightmare up in Lexington and just wheels flying off. Uh, somehow LSU comes out, and uh, a lot of a lot more people showed up for the Florida game than I expected. They stayed to the end. They were loud, and LSU wins this game. But I think it just shows the maturity of the of uh, the athletic director now, um, in terms of uh, obviously a program's major decisions are not dictated on one game here and there as they were in 2015 with Les Miles beat Texas A&M and then it was decided he was going to stay on for another season. Uh, Scott Woodward, the LSU athletic director, who um, I believe with Skip Berkman has said, who was also an athletic director, the best athletic director ever had. Um, uh Recognizes the direction of the program. He he knows a lot of things off the field that he'll never talk about, we'll never hear about, and he knows the product on the field. He did not hire Ed Ogeron, and this thing is really—you um, know—it's getting worse each week. And he realizes that he's got to get the boxer out of the ring before uh, Ivan Drago takes out Apollo Creed, if you know what I mean. So, oh, exactly. Um, That's where we are right now. And it's it's been, Clint, just real quick, you know, I mean, going into the year, the hopes were okay, we got Elias Ricks and Derek Stingley to lock down the corners. We got uh, Allie Gay and Andre Anthony, a defensive end. And we got uh, John Emery is finally going to start living up to his five star status in this offense, start catching some passes. And uh, none of that really has uh, has transpired. And and here we sit um, with them struggling to even practice and scrimmage uh, properly.
1: That was the most mind blowing thing when I heard that on the SEC teleconference call on Wednesday. The fact that you have head coach Ed Ogeron outright saying you don't have enough players to even field a practice, let alone the Tiger scrimmage, the Tiger Bowl that they do every week during that open day between now and Alabama, like that was surprising. And how much that is just like the strength and conditioning kind of falling, falling below below the mark of performance. Because for years, I mean, Tommy Moffitt's been able to do a great job with the program, but this is a year where injuries have plagued this team unlike any other, I think, in the entire world of college football.
3: Yeah, and certainly I'm not trying to pile on, but that once again kind of makes you think, is, is that something that he really needed to say out loud or share? You know, we're, we're not allowed to, to go to practice. I think they had us going to practice one time this week, Wednesday, and the weather was bad and we didn't go out. I mean, he, he probably could have just said, ah, you know, this year we decided not to do the Tiger Bowl or, or, you know, give them off or whatever. But then to publicly announce, hey, we don't even have enough guys to but uh, scrimmage, and it's just kind of a, you know, kind of just really puts out there how embarrassing the situation is at the moment. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a, uh, maybe that's good for recruits that hear that, hey, I, I can go and, and help out immediately. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. Um, uh, and, and what was your original question again? I'm sorry, Clint, you were asking me about.
1: No, I was saying, like, with everything going on with the strength and conditioning, it feels like this team has just fallen below the mark. And, like, with all the injuries, this team has been plagued with. That's what I was kind of getting at on this.
3: Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Tommy Moffitt was Nick Saban's first hire, I believe, at LSU. When Nick Saban first got the job at LSU way back when, in late 1999, uh, he hired Tommy Moffitt as a strength and conditioning coach. And Tommy Moffitt has been the strength and conditioning coach for. Uh, three national championship team, teams here, and then another one in 2011 that played for the uh, played for the title. Um, and certainly, players over the years have sworn by Tommy Moffitt uh, and everything. And so, I think that LSU will have a new strength and conditioning coach next year, from what I'm hearing and gathering. That uh, it may be maybe time for uh, you know Tommy's going to maybe branch out and do something else. And uh, none wrong with that. But um, you know, I, I do think it's a combination. Look, Andre Anthony blew out of me um, I mean that's a that's an injury that you can't question, and but I, I definitely think I mean even somebody within the LSU program that's very close to the situation before the old Miss game told me before kickoff, hey, I think we're starting to play a little better and look a little better now that he that, put the, the the air quotes up in the air. Some of our quote injured players aren't around anymore, and so I, I definitely think there's been a question about some of these guys you know, could have possibly played through some of this stuff and said, you know what, I'm going to have the surgery now and I'm not going to uh, participate anymore. But, yeah, it, it's um, – um, and, I, and I definitely also think that I, I don't know where you strike the balance when you start recruiting, that you, you're trying to get the best players and also, you know, get guys that, that love LSU, that want to play college football, that don't think they're doing you a favor by playing college football. Um, and I think that's also something that hopefully the next head coach can address, get guys who want to charge out of that tunnel and, and give their all. But also I think the head coach and the leadership has something to do with that as well. I think, I think the players um, have been disappointed in their head coach and, and, and don't want to play as hard for them, for him as, uh, as they did in, in 2019.
1: Talking right now with Jacques, Doucet, say, TV. And you brought up something earlier. where we you talked about Ed Ogeron's mentioning of the fact, you don't have enough players to do the tiger bowl and stuff like that this weekend. And it seems like it's another moment in a long line of moments where maybe he should have not said the quiet part out loud going back even to this season, the much like mocked bring that sissy blue shirt on quote from the UCLA contest that got viral for all the wrong reasons. Do you think that also played a large role in maybe Scott Woodward pulling the plug on the Kocho experiment along with the losing?
3: Well, I think when Coach Joe first got the job, he did a lot of things differently than Coach Miles did, and that you see that a lot, no matter who the hire is. You know, after a while, the, whoever the coach is, you get tired of certain things. With Les Miles, it was he was always late for press conferences. Uh, you ask him for a, a, an answer, and he would give you a bunch of word salad and not answer your, your question. Uh, he would never talk about injuries whatsoever, and I think that Coach O uh, went in a totally different direction with a lot of that stuff. I, I, I remember, you know, you know, just for an example, asking, "Hey, uh, is Devin White going to play this week?" And, and 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 Coach and Coach Les Miles would have given you a big uh, runaround and not answered it. And then Ed Ogeron said, "No, he's out." And we'd look at each other like, "Did he just really <laughs> just tell us point blank the guy's not going to play on Monday?" You know, so. Uh, so those were the kind of things, and I, and I appreciated Coach O for being honest and, and just being transparent a lot of times when, when there was no need to lie and, um, and do all that stuff. But I, I do think I, I think even Scott Woodward himself in 2020 when Coach O, I think, talked about guys who had had COVID and stuff like that. I think, I think Scott Woodward said, well, our, our coach is honest to a fault. And, uh, and look, um, you know, when, when, he, uh, when he walked into the stadium and had that little exchange with the UCLA fans, uh, you know I was uh, we were there obviously and this was like our first college football game with fans and excitement and emotion uh, since 2019 and I just thought it was a little bit of you know professional wrestling tied in with a very passionate sport and everyone seemed to love it until about the third quarter when it was apparent that she was not going to win the game and then up in their face so um and then the prank call he got a very smutty trashy call on his prank on his uh, on his radio show a few weeks back and Chris Blair, the voice of the Tigers, did his best to move past it and move forward. And then Coach O said, you know, well, let me say something about that right there. And they made the, the joke about we got a fishing hole for for guys like that, which in 2018, to be fair, at a Rotary Club function before LSU kicked off the season, there was a Miami fan in the, in the audience. LSU was opening their year with Miami. And Coach O joked, hey, man, we got a fishing hole for guys like you. Thank Everybody you. Everybody laughed, thought it was funny, and no one thought he was going to kill the guy, right? <laughs> so, Thank you. Uh, I said the same so thing. Anyway, that, that's how it goes.
1: I said the same thing. I was like, he said this back in 2018. I was like 99% certain it was at the Rotary Club and nobody said anything of it. But, of course, when it's on national TV, national radio and all eyes are on you, it's obviously going to wind up being a much bigger deal. But looking at Scott Woodward, we, you talked about Joe leave and the entire situation where LSU was going to get Jimbo, then they didn't, Les stayed on, then he fired him in their 2016 season. How important is this hire for Scott Woodward to get it right? Because you think about it, LSU has had three coaches back-to-back-to-back win national championships. The implication is you need to win a national title for your time at LSU to mean something, especially in the last 20 years.
3: Yeah, I agree with the people uh, that I talk to in the media as well around here, the Jordy Colladas, Matt Moscones of the world, um, who say this is – Scott Woodward has been working towards this decision and to be in position to make this decision for his entire life. He grew up in Baton Rouge, went to Catholic High, went to LSU. He was part of the group of people that were instrumental in landing Nick Saban as the head coach way back when, you know, over 20 years ago. He left. He, he was the AD at places like Washington and Texas A&M to circle his way back to Baton Rouge. And uh, he's made uh, two very big hires so far and Kim Mulkey. A grand slam home run as a women's basketball coach. Jay Johnson hasn't coached the game in baseball yet, but everything we hear is great on him. And so uh, football obviously dictates the entire program. Uh, it's the front porch of your house, as Mark Emmerich and Skip Berkman would say. Uh, just look at Alabama since uh, they got Nick Saban, their enrollment at the university, the sponsorships, the funds, the businesses, everything just multiplies exponentially. So, um, yes, this is a, a, a huge, huge decision um for him it will be it will resonate for decades to come and uh, and joe oliva said so himself when he was the ad this this hire is going to be my legacy well it was a uh, it's a very hard legacy to define when it comes to coach joe in fact that you know a, a nine win team a 10 win team that finished almost in the top five the best team of all time and then they fell off the flip so um a, a very tough legacy to define but yeah scott woodward um, I feel 100% better today than I did, uh, what, five years ago when Joe Oliva was uh, manning the ship. Who
1: do you think Who do you think should be getting the job at LSU? Because obviously there's a lot of names out there, and a lot of the, the rumor innuendo is Mel Tucker is obviously one of those big frontrunners. Lincoln Riley has been one. James Carville brought up on YouTube with NOLA.com the other day. But who do you think is going to be the best hire possible for the Tigers?
3: Well, I really can't answer that. I'll just say a few things. Uh, Mario Cristobal at Oregon intrigues me a bit because of the fact that he coached with Saban for a good chunk of years. In recent years, he's got a big background in offensive line and recruiting offensive line, which, as we know, has been LSU's weak link for years. Uh, He would know the South, uh, although I've been told he's he's a CEO type, kind of like Ogeron. He's not a mind on either side of the ball um Lane Kiffin, I think would win big at LSU I think he'd score a lot of points and if Scott Woodward said here here's two and a half million dollars go get a great offensive uh, defensive coordinator I think that that could work I think uh, you know Lane Kiffin is still trying to prove that he's mature enough to lead a program like that and today I think he needs to kind of win a big game he, he, he's uh he needs to win a big game at Ole Miss, and today going to Jordan-Hare Stadium and winning at, at Auburn would, would, be, uh, would be good for him. Uh, Billy Napier's name will continue to come up. There's always the crowd of people that say, that turn their nose up and say, we don't hire the coach of the Rage and Cajuns, we're LSU. And there's plenty of other people that say that uh, Nick Staven believes that Billy Napier is his, um, is his ultimate honor student, uh, the guy who uh, pays attention to detail, top to bottom, knows how to run, run a program 365 days to year, 27. Uh, me growing up in Lafayette, certainly, to think about the Ragin' Cajuns being ranked in the top 25 and, and going to bowl games uh, year in and year out and uh, and having a head coach that would turn down SEC jobs was unthinkable, uh, even for all the great stuff that Brian Mitchell and Jake DeLome and uh, Brandon Stokely and Nelson Stokely did back in the day. So uh, he's gonna he's gonna be in there. I think he's more on the second tier from what I hear people talking about. Mel Tucker, I think just he's coming up on the gauntlet of the schedule. I believe where he's going to play the Ohio State, Michigan's, and Penn State's of the world. He doesn't necessarily need to win those games, but he needs to prove that they're competitive. And and uh, and how does it look? But he just hasn't. He just doesn't have a whole lot of skins on the wall as a as a head coach. Dave Aranda's interesting. Um, as well. And then uh, another name that someone close to the program believes uh, is going to be the guy, which I don't know, but he thinks he's a good, solid hire, be a good fit, and would maximize the LSU resources is Bob Stoops, the head coach over at Kentucky. The season he's having, I was told, but he's doing at Kentucky, it took him nine years. He could do it in one year at LSU with the recruiting class, the, the, uh, the facilities, the resources, and all that stuff. So those are just a few. We can talk on and on about a lot of people out there. Lincoln Riley, like you said, his name has come up this week. Uh, Is he ready to play SEC ball? Not sure. Um, But those are just a few names off the top of my head.
1: Well, I mean, Lincoln Riley is going to have to either play SEC football next year or wait a couple years and play SEC football because either way, he'll probably be coaching the Sooners uh, either way. But before I let you go, i got about 30 seconds, and this is a two-part question real quick. Favorite Halloween movie and favorite Halloween candy?
3: Man, I hated scary movies growing up. Uh, I remember watching Pet Cemetery at a uh, Milton uh, eighth grade party, and like sleeping on my parents' floor that night. So I'm not a huge fan of, of scary movies. Jeez, uh, Halloween candy. I like I like just I like tart and tangy stuff. Sweet tarts, uh, Sour Patch Kids, uh, stuff like that. I'm not so much into the rich chocolate stuff. But uh, you know, best. I mean. I, I'll just say an impact, I just remember just hearing the stories about the exorcist and people passing out at the movie theater, throwing up at the movie theater, uh, needing psychological help. <laughs> I think the exorcist is one of the most impactful of all time for sure.
1: I'd agree with you there. Thank you so much, Jacques, for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road.
3: Okay, Clint. Anytime, man. All
1: right, Jacques, do say, if I had enough time, I was going to bring up the fact that I'm starting to agree with um, uh, one Jim Hawthorne. Baseball games are getting way Way too long. But we're going to take a quick timeout. Got my picks to click for this weekend. We might have a special guest ready to go for that segment. Back after this on 103.7 The Game. All right, went a little long in the last segment. So we'll go ahead and get it right out the way with today's Faye 5 Sports Bets. But we've got a special guest. Last week, just full disclosure, went two for five And since tomorrow's Halloween, we decided we're bringing out a very special guest. He's got five picks to click. Let's go ahead and get to it. It's The Undertaker. We're taking the under, baby, all day, all night on this mischief night. We start off, take the under. Vanderbilt-Mizzou, 62.5, the over-under. Take the under on that one. Under on Florida State-Clemson, 47.5. That feels like easy money. Both those teams can't score worth a damn Georgia State, Georgia Southern, 55-and-a-half, take the under. Carolina, Atlanta, 46-and-a-half, you take the under. 51-and-a-half over under four, Cowboys, Vikings, take the under. And this weekend, if you place those bets, I mean, start next week, you'll be able to t- place those bets over in Baton Rouge, you will make the over. Rest in peace. All right, we're going to take a quick timeout. We'll be back after this right here on 103.7thegame, 103.7thegame.com, with a whole lot of more. Hour 2, coming your way next. This
0: can be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go, Allen. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally, time for the world famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no holds barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. you You better get ready. Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7. The game.
1: And welcome, everyone. Hour number two of two. It's go time for high, for college football, I should say. Not high school football. That was last night. But college football is getting underway right now. Cincinnati Tulane just kicked off moments ago. We'll get a live scene set of what's going on. Over there with our good friend Ross Jackson joining the program at 11:30. He's out at the two-lane ball game. We'll, we'll catch him there. He says it's gonna be quiet over there, so you know we'll, we'll have that conversation with him about what's going on. Meanwhile, right out the gates, Cajuns come up big on the defensive side of the football. Texas State's Calvin Hill fumbles the football. Cajuns take over early on. That's exactly what you want to see. If you're the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Now they're kind of they're at the Texas State 30. So they have every chance to kind of get something going. But mind you, they, they had a fumble on the first play from the line of scrimmage. Then you had Chris Smith lose a yard. Levi Lewis pass incomplete. So maybe it only turns out to be a field goal to start off, which wouldn't necessarily be great because you want to wind up getting a big win if you're the Raging Cajuns after what you saw last week, like it was a mess. And Nate Snyder just missed a 44-yard field goal. So that so not necessarily a great start for either program. Hopefully the Cajuns can come away with a big one. We'll give you some updates a little bit later on. But for those who are listening in, appreciate you however you're doing, so be it through the 103.7 The Game mobile app, 103.7thegame.com. I think our FM signal is fully back. I know people have been having issues over the last week, I think we're officially back on the tower of power that is the FM dial. He
0: is the tower of power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal to man.
1: And that's kind of where we're at in all this. Like, obviously, the last week or so, we've been having some issues where we were fixing up that tower of power to make sure that you can hear us wherever you are in the Acadian area. Nick, if you're out there tailgating, still tailgating, I should say, for Cajuns-Texas State, which just got started, still a 0-0 ball game early on, appreciate you listening in. And if you want to call in, 337-706-0111, and I want you all to be part of this conversation here for this segment, maybe the next segment, too, if you want to razz me for my Strozen 6 take. I'll talk about that more later on. But I want to go back to Monday Night Football because that was probably one of the worst Monday Night Football games I've seen in a long time. Yes, they've been worse in terms of lopsided scores and one-sided ball games, But just in terms of watchable football, it's a metric that's very difficult to really determine because people have different tastes. But I think we can all agree, we can all do the handshake emoji meme that the football game between the Saints and Seahawks was absolutely dreadful. And it was one of the worst Saints games I've ever seen and can remember. I understand the weather played a large role in how the game played. Because there's only a handful of times you'll be seeing teams play in the middle of a bomb cyclone. Mind you, you saw that twice in the same week with the 49ers and Colts facing off on Sunday Night Football. And that was just as bad. it was a big reason why I was saying on Twitter to hammer the under in that one. Because the play was going to be sloppy. And that's an understatement. It was like the lunch lady from Billy Madison. I was watching a couple weekends ago. It's extra sloppy. This was a bad ball game in every sense of the word. Offenses couldn't get going. Defenses weren't necessarily there. It was just the fact that you were playing on some really bad field. It was a hot mess from start to finish. And it got me thinking. What's the worst or the most boring game you've ever seen on the football front? Obviously, sometimes baseball can get a little bit boring. I mentioned it earlier, all postseason, I've started to come to this realization that baseball is way too long. Like, most of the games outside of last night have been going like around three and a half to four hours. That is way too long For a football game it looks like there was just i have michigan michigan state in the background and the wolverines just got a huge interception on a glorified arm punt they're pinned deep in their own territory but it was a really great catch and again i'm just looking at this from like the backwards perspective i got a mirror in the first south farm credit studios so i'm kind of in a weird perspective for this but what was a game that was so bereft of entertainment? It felt like a three-hour game was six hours long. Call me now at 337-706-0111. I've got a few written down right here. And obviously outside of the Seahawks game last Monday. Because the seahawks saints game on Monday was abhorrent. And I'm going to go more the local side of things. Because there's I've got some homer picks here. And the first one, I'm going to go with the Saints. It's from last year. I think you know where I'm going with this. Saints-Broncos. It was a game that blew by but was boring because of the fact that you had the Broncos. Didn't have a quarterback because of COVID. You have Taysom Hill starting for the black and gold. It was just a fever dream. It was almost a cursed game. And it was like completely one-sided from the jump. The Saints dominated. After halftime, it was clear who would win, and it just was like, it was a game that didn't need to happen, and it was disgusting to see. The Denver Broncos didn't have a quarterback on the roster because of COVID. They had to go to a wide receiver who hadn't played like football since high school. I remember having that conversation with our good friend Ross Jackson, who we'll have on at the bottom of the hour, about this exact thing. And I don't wonder what the hell is going on to where you see him you see this team, like, basically play 31-3 win that was this boring. It was very much almost like Vermilion Parish football. And that's not a due disrespect. It's just factual. You saw a lot of run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. I'm surprised we didn't see, like, wing tier your offenses in this game. It was basically, oh, hey, let's just go ahead and get out of here. Minimal damage and just run the ball down their throat. Saints won, but it it was a skippable skippable game in my mind. On the LSU front, I'll throw in two nominees, and I think a lot of you might agree with one of them. The other one, maybe not so much. But LSU-Alabama for the national title was one of the worst games, not just of LSU's history, but I think the the worst national championship game of all time. I think Notre Dame-Alabama is close. Second, because that one definitely didn't need to happen. But LSU-Alabama was the exact opposite of 9-6. to six. And here's the thing. Here's why I, I'm saying boring games. 9-6 LSU Alabama 2011 was not a boring game. It was a game that had you on the edge of your seats from beginning to end. Why? Because it was two very strong defenses going up against each other, and I'm just seeing Michigan take it to the house. Big play to start off that ball game, But going back to... 2011 or the 2012 national title game. You had from start to finish one of the best games of all time because it was a defensive battle and these two were at the pinnacle of the sport. Then a few months later, they face off. Else you could not get past the 50 yard line until the second to last drive of the ball game. Think about that. You had, I wound up looking at the drive chart earlier today before I started the show. It was punt, 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 like fumble, interception, punt, punt, punt. That was literally the most boring-ass game I have ever seen. And that's like saying something, because there's been some really bad ballgames. And it was just like, unless you got in enemy territory once after winning 9-6 in Tuscaloosa in that masterful ball game. That was led by really good defenses. Sometimes that kind of game's awesome because you'll never forget it. It's something like that that sticks with you. A oh, lot like a few weeks ago with the Green Bay Packers and Cincinnati Bengals, it's a game you'll remember because of the ineptitude on the special teams. Because they missed so many field goals, it kind of negated the idea and the theory that we should have field goal kicking be a shootout after the first overtime. Let's not do that because they won't be there all night. I think they proved that statement to be false. But in terms of another LSU game, I got to go LSU-Auburn in 2016. It was just as bad because you lost to a kicker, largely. 18 points for Auburn, all 18 of them via field goals. Six field goals. And he lost because of that and gave Gus on a second chance that he parlayed into five more years of yo-yo coaching. And I'm saying yo-yo coaching because one year he'd be great, the other year he'd be dog. One year great, the other dog. And he kept going because he was going to be fired after that game, a lot like Les Miles was because his incompetence cost that team a win as well as his job because he didn't realize how much time was left on the clock on the final play. Why did he not ever call a timeout? It's a question we'll never know. And obviously, we'll never know the what-if of if that play actually was held up. If Les Miles would have played out the season. I don't think he would have. I think the writing was on the wall a lot like what we're seeing now with LSU and Ed Ogeron. Which is a very similar situation. We talked about it last week. In terms of Cajuns games, I'll throw out Cajuns-Georgia Southern 2017. The penultimate game of the Hudspeth era. This is the last home game of the HUD era. And if you remember the context of HUD football post-2016, there's just one word, apathy. Like there was just complete and utter apathy with this program. Because people didn't like him. The team was bad. Everything was wrong. You hardly had anyone in the stands for that game. Now, mind you. Scheduling a game this Saturday after Thanksgiving will largely do that to you. And the energy occasion Cajun field to a certain extent felt like a morgue. Nothing there was no energy, there was nothing going for them. And they lost 34-24, but it was a boring, forgettable ball game. Eight years later, Hudsmith was let go, Napier took over, and both parties are in two different directions. Napier looks to be getting a, a coaching job, be it at LSU. Hell, I, I'd i say Texas Tech is a strong consideration for him to take over that job. I don't know if that's going to happen, but it's something I'd at least consider. Is the Big 12 is going to get a little bit easier now that the big dogs of Texas and Oklahoma are moving out in the next couple of years? It's something to at least think about if I'm Napier if the LSU job doesn't come his way. And I don't think it will. I'm, I'm going to continue to push that he deserves to be part of the conversation, but I don't think he's going to get in if you catch my drift. Meanwhile, head coach Mark Hudsmith, he's coaching high school football in Gulf Shores. Let's go ahead and leave it at that. And you're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 the Game and 1037thegame.com. When we come back, We'll talk about the Houston Astros. They're down 2-1 in the World Series, but I'm standing by my Strohs in six predictions. I said it earlier this week on social media, and there's one reason why. We'll talk about that next. Ross Jackson gonna be joining the program at the bottom of the hour. We'll be back after this on a Mischief Night edition of Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. <laughs>
0: After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Woo! Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more under the dome with CD right now on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's Sports Station.
1: Welcome back to Under the Dome with C.D. Always get to play that before Halloween. The Brutes theme, which, by the way, maybe I'll talk about some spooky themes on the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast hosted by yours truly, the world famous C.D. And, of course, we got Ross Jackson coming on the program in about eight or nine minutes. Reset the Cajuns game real quick for you. Still 0-0, Cajuns win three and out for the second straight drive. And looks like Texas State is trying to get things going. Currently, they're at their own 41 after a fall, excuse me, first and 15 pushed them back, but were able to get near midfield with a nice eight-yard run from Tyler Vitt. So this is a little bit more of an interesting ball game than maybe I thought. But my goodness, this Saturday is insane when you really think about it because you've got so much sport going on right now it's pretty hard to keep up obviously i'm gonna get to the astros in a moment you got that going on astros game 4 That's be going on today so that's a big thing to kind of obviously look forward to and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it in a second but we also have college football. The the Saturday night slate's going to be pretty darn good from what I've been seeing. You got that going on. You got it all day, too. You got SMU and Houston facing off. That should be a fun one. Oklahoma State, Kansas. You've got Penn State, Ohio State being your primetime matchup everybody's talking about. 20 versus 5. You got Fresno State, San Diego State to wrap it up. But you've also got UFC 267. I Tonight is going to be an absolute nutty kind of night, and I'm all the way here for it, to be honest with you. I love it when we have these things going on. It's all kind of colliding. Worlds are colliding, and things are always more fun when that's going down. I always just love it when we have multiple things just colliding, and actually actually, they have the live results of the show going on right now because it's in Abu Dhabi, so it's a little bit of a different time zone and right now, I believe they're not even in the main, yeah, they're not even in the main card yet. So hopefully by the time I get done with this show, they'll be on with the main card. I'll be able to enjoy that. But a Soul Star for the Cajuns and Texas State as well. Maybe we'll reset that a little bit later on in the program. But in the meantime, in between time, let's get to the Astros. Because the Astros had an outright depressing game three last night, losing 2-0 and nearly getting no hit by Ian Anderson, who I hadn't really heard that all that much about. Didn't necessarily know he was that good, but lo and behold, he kept a team that has Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa on the team, Jordan Alvarez, Yuli Gurriel, Kyle Tucker, Martin Maldonado, guys that are just absolute – Michael Brantley, guys that can hit for average. One of the big things I've talked about for a long time is having consistent guys that are hitting for average. And that's what these guys are. Lo and behold, did not realize how important they were going to wind up being for this program, for this franchise, in terms of building momentum and building that road. And it's a a tough road for this team, for this Astros team, to win. They have a 2-1 deficit now in the World Series. And everybody is probably already counting them out, saying that because of the fact you had home field advantage. And it, like the storylines for this World Series are so much fun. Last night they had a great tribute for Hank Aaron, deservedly so. But I've got a reason why I think the Astros aren't dead yet. And I think Strosen 6 is definitely a possibility. Tonight, you got Zach Grinky on the mound. And I know how much we all hate Grinke because he's just – He's a weird cat, first of all. He's a weird character. And then you have the Astros bringing out a really good pitcher. You need to have your bullpen step its game up. But I think more importantly, you have a guy going more than four or five innings to set you up. And the rope is going to be long for him, according to Dusty Baker. How long that rope could be? Could it be uh, like six innings or five innings or as low as four. Get us to the fifth or sixth inning and have a couple run advantage. Like we saw the other night with Framberg game two. That's all we ask for, Jack. That's all I want. Because I want us to have a chance of being tied up 2-2. Because if we're down 3-1, I don't think the Atlanta Braves are going to pull off an iconic fall apart and blow a 3-1 lead in the World Series. They didn't do it against the Dodgers. Who's... I? There's no chance that that LSU, that Astros team gets it done. I don't think so. But it's going to be, like, nuts to see that game tonight with Zach Greinke on the bump for the Houston Astros. And I think also this team's due. This team is absolutely due for an opportunity to kind of turn it around. Last night, you only got two hits, and both of them in the eighth and ninth innings respectively. Ian Anderson put you on notice. Four strikeouts in five innings of work. Walked three batters, but still, pretty darn good night for him. Meanwhile, Luis Garcia, he had six strikeouts, but he also allowed three hits and walked four and allowed one run. That's the big difference. I mean, Ian Anderson puts himself in a very elite class. Let's put it that way. Five innings without allowing a hit. The most since Ron Taylor in 1964 against the New York Yankees for the Cards. Don Larson is the only one in World Series history to not allow a hit. He had a perfect game. The only time you ever have had that. That was amazing in and of itself. Austin Riley hitting a nice RBI double in the third after being a stalemate for the first three innings and change with that one-out double to get it done, and that turned this whole thing around. Now the Braves are about to get one step closer to their first World Series in a long time. I just want to see this team get better. And the biggest thing they have to get better at is obviously the hitting. But I think it's also getting long starts. And I'm seeing this a heads up. If you're going to be going out, I'd say for the foreseeable future, stay the hell away from Ambassador Caffrey, please. Apparently, it's a parking lot. Take Colleagues East East Broussard to Johnson instead. I just say, a lot like what we've been doing over the last year and a half, almost two years, socially distance yourself. From Ambassador Caffrey as much as you can, mind you. I only really go on that side. Of, thankfully, like I got it all right. I mentioned the story last week, but I got a new laptop, and I've had to basically make like four or five trips to Best Buy, and that alone has been a complete ordeal. Doing that, he's had to bring it, tell him, "Hey, here's what happened." Go buy a new laptop. Wait for it to get there and then go back and pick it up, bring the old one, give it to them, have them back it up on a hard drive, wait three days, pick it up that Sunday, and then start backing everything up onto my current laptop. That was a whole like week's worth of stuff when it could have largely just been done in one day. Come on now. There's got to be better ways to handle this. But again, maybe it's just the post-COVID world we're living in, and now you got to go ahead and order it and they'll ship it instead of having the inventory in stock maybe maybe i'm becoming that old man who yells at clouds hopefully there's no picture of me on the newspaper doing just that but we'll take a quick time out ross jackson joining the program talking new orleans saints they made a big trade we'll talk about that and more you're listening to under the dome with cd right here on 1037 the game and 1037thegame.com
0: The world-famous CD may be in his 30s, but he's still a
1: kid at heart.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, let's get back to a guy that has an unhealthy obsession with a number that offensive linemen wear. With Under the Dome, with the world-famous CD on 1037 The Game, Acadiana's Sports Station.
1: And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. Cajuns facing fourth and goal at the end of the first quarter. Big run from Chris Smith for 28 yards. Keep an eye on him, I'd say, in terms of potential Cajuns getting drafted to the NFL. He's definitely got something, especially on the special team side of things. He's somebody you he need to keep an eye on. But again, Cajuns... Texas State scoreless end of one, but the Cajuns are at the Bobcat two-yard line when they resume action. But we'll take a break from the action, talk about that, and get in on the action. That is Saints football, maybe also a two-lane update because our guys out there hustling, and that is the one, the only. Ross Jackson, host of the Locked on Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles. He's out there at Yeoman Stadium. Watching number two, Cincinnati, the Bearcats, taking on the two-lane Green Wave. Ross, how's it going?
2: Hey, brother. Good to hear from you, man. Good to be here. Appreciate you having
1: me. Hey, appreciate you coming on. I know, obviously, you are a busy cat, as always. What's it like out there at Yeoman Stadium for the big game?
2: Listen, you got a pretty nice turnout here. I mean, you know, not often that you get to see, you know, a top three, you know, top two uh, team in the nation. You know, playing at Yeoman Stadium. And so it's a really great opportunity to be able to be out here and get a look at that and, you know, potentially get an eye, uh, an early eye on some uh, guys that could be of interest in the upcoming NFL draft as well. You got some uh, good prospects out here and Doss Gardner, as well as, of course, Kobe Bryant, the two corners for Cincinnati. Of course, you have several two lane players that could be of local interest. And then, of course, quarterback Desmond Ritter, who, uh, you know, could be one of those top quarterbacks off the board this year.
1: Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun to see how the 2022 NFL draft indeed shakes out. But the New Orleans Saints are back from their long trip to Seattle and have a quick turnaround taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's take a look back at that Monday night game. Was that one of the worst like Monday night football games you've ever seen? Because I'm kind of in that camp.
2: Yeah, I mean it was a it was a challenging one. I mean, look, if you like defense, then there's certainly some things that you can take away from it. But it was pretty sloppy on both sides of the ball. Excuse me, both both teams over on the offensive side. Um, You know, but the good thing that you got out of it was you know another electrifying performance in Seattle from uh, Alvin Kamara. I don't know what it is, but you put Alvin Kamara in the Pacific Northwest, and he just tends the ball out over 170 all-purpose yards in that one. I had his touchdown as well, and. You know, I think that for the Saints, the, the big question mark for them became and, and maybe intensified was the wide receiver position. They didn't have uh, Taysom Hill, who has been, you know, a big-time uh, pass catcher for them and has been a big part of how they mixed and matched their offense, even under center as well. But then you also didn't have Deontay Harris in this one. And, of course, the Saints get Trey Kwan Smith back, but clearly there was some rust there to knock off. So you had a lot of question marks in terms of the sloppy play from the pass catchers and in the past passing game for the New Orleans Saints, which just continues to be the big question mark. But if you like defense, you have some really great performances from guys like uh, DeMario Davis in this one.
1: Speaking of DeMario Davis, I was going to ask this question later, but I might as well get it out of the way first. Is DeMario Davis the single best like free agent acquisition outside of Drew Brees in the franchise's history?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you look at the way that this guy has absolutely rejuvenated this New Orleans Saints defense. The Saints defense you know, got a little bit of a boost back, of course, with that 2017 draft class bringing in the, you know, the the influx of guys like, you know, uh, Marshall Lattimore and Marcus Williams and Trey Hendrickson, who had 13 and a half back with the team last year before he departed for Cincinnati. But in 2017, there were the 17th ranked defense. They add to Mario Davis to that young defense in 2018, they bump up to 14th and they go up to 11th. And then finally in 2020, there were a top five defense in the NFL. And right now they're trending that way. Again, uh, the only exception being passing yardage, but of course, you can have all the yards you want. You can't put any points up on this defense, which right now there's a the third-ranked uh, scoring defense right now in the NFL. You'll take that. So they've done a really phenomenal job, and Demario Davis is such a huge part of that and has been over the course of the last few seasons. I think that them signing him back in before the 2018 season and then extending him in the middle of last year, which we don't see the Saints too many um, you know, extensions in season, but they ended up getting it done just before that second-week uh, Raiders game. That was a really, really big move, both of those moves, for the New Orleans thing.
1: And we'll get to the the big move that the Saints made during the week in just a second, but quick update for those who are listening. Cajuns just took the lead 6-0. They haven't seen the PAT, nice. if it's good or not, but they took the lead. Levi Lewis, two-yard touchdown pass to Chris Smith, and they managed to get the field goal. 14 plays in 5 minutes, 25 seconds and the Cajuns take a 7 nothing lead very early in the second quarter. But let's go ahead and talk about the big trade. To me, I, I'm going to go ahead and put this in an analogy. Did the Saints basically pull off the Jackie Moon and semi-pro when getting Mark Ingram for the Texans <laughs> for a 7th-round pick in 2024? It just feels similar to the Flint Tropics getting Monix for a washing machine.
2: That sounds funny. No, look, it was absolutely, it's a great opportunity for New Orleans. It's a great opportunity for Mark Ingram. Love the way that, you know, you heard the way that the, that the Houston Texans dealt with it. You know, had they gotten an offer from any other team, they wouldn't have even listened to the offer. But because it was the New Orleans Saints trying to bring Mark Ingram back to where he was drafted years ago, they approached him, asked him if he wanted it. He wanted it. Now he's back in New Orleans. So really kind of a classy move by the Houston Texans organization, which has made some questionable moves at best over the course of the last couple of seasons. You think back to the DeAndre Hopkins trade, so on and so forth. Um, Look, I think that this is great for the New Orleans Saints, and especially being able to get away with it with literally the least value pick that they can give away. You can only trade picks for three seasons in the NFL. It's not like the NBA to where you can trade picks, you know, 10 years down the line you can only go three seasons ahead. So the Saints went three seasons ahead and gave up the last selection that they could, which was the seventh round pick in order to bring Mark Ingram back. So uh, a great opportunity for them to be able to alleviate some of the pressure off of Alvin Kamara, who's second in the NFL in touches right now. And you bring in another running back where they've struggled in a position so far behind Alvin Kamara, somebody that is familiar with your system and can diversify the run set a little bit. It's a really great move for the New Orleans Saints, and clearly – low uh low pay to do it and they got the uh houston Texans to pick up the cash on a on an extension as well so pretty impressive stuff
1: oh no it's impressive stuff meanwhile you got brandon cooks out there complaining calling bs on all this <laughs> do you think he's officially burned that bridge for the new orleans saints
2: um I, I think that there's a chance but i mean honestly like i didn't think that the saints were going to be reuniting at any point with kenny Stills, and they happen to do that too you know so uh, so i don't know i mean it's very possible uh, the New Orleans Saints not giving up a pick for the 2020 NFL season does mean that there is still the opportunity for them to be shopping for wide receivers. You know, Albert Breer reported that the Saints and Lions are two of the teams that are kind of at the head of the market, looking for receiver help mentioned a few names, but nobody that's specifically attached to the New Orleans Saints and Brandon Cooks was out amongst that list. So I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's two kind of ways about it. Did Brandon Cooks or is that relationship so severed that the Saints wouldn't go back for him or, simply or the Houston Texans is just not going to move on from a guy like Brandon Cooks, who is literally one of the last remaining assets that they have. It, it could come down to either one, but you know, th- there is a potential that the relationship there just is is non-existent at this point.
1: Oh, I mean, I'm sure to a certain extent that maybe, maybe the NFL would step in and be like, and Roger Goodell would be like David Stern was back in the day right, with the Chris right. Paul trade, where he's just like, guys, quit getting rid of everybody.
2: Right, yeah. You, already, to you, got, you, you need to field a team on Sunday. Like yeah. this, that's the other part of this too, is like you know, they simply just down to a numbers perspective. Like Houston still has to play games on Sundays. So you know, there's not really the the open opportunity for them to just fire everybody here in the middle of the season, so it looks like they might not be completely uh, closing the door to it.
1: I'm talking now with Ross Jackson, Lockdown Locked On Saints podcast at Canal Street Chronicles. And what's the latest? Because I haven't seen anything that outright says that either Mark Ingram is going to play or will not. What's the latest you've heard?
2: The latest that I've heard is that Mark Ingram is expecting to play, and uh, i.e. he is expecting to play, and that Sean Payton so far is, you know, they haven't rolled him out. They don't have any reason to keep him out. He's familiar with the system. He doesn't have to go through any protocols or checks or anything like that because he was already on another NFL team, so he's already up to date with everything. It's not the same thing as like if they were signing a free agent who you know, hasn't gone through COVID protocols and everything. It's a little bit of a different situation. So he should be out there this weekend. I would honestly be surprised to not see him out there. So the best that I could say is that all interests lie in him being out there on Sunday, but logist- and logistically nothing standing in the way. So I would be very surprised to not see him come off.
1: Talk right now with Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast, and Canal Street Chronicles. Looking at the – got to say, obviously, one of the big things that I noticed it was the fact that you saw a lot of uh, overthrown passes to one Traquan Smith, and obviously we're getting close to the trade deadline. One of the big questions I've had is, do the do the, this team move on from Traquan Smith at the deadline? Because it looks like that relationship between these two is tenuous at best.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, you saw the uh, the bit of a spat on the sideline between Jameis Limson and Traquan Smith that did not look pretty. It's never good to see that, but it's also – It it goes both ways, right? It's good to see that because you want the quarterback to have that type of leadership to be able to go out there and have those types of conversations with skilled players that aren't, you know, amounting to what their expectations are. But at the same time, you know, at what point does that become irreversible? So there is a little bit of concern around what that situation could turn into versus what it might be. Uh, But are they – do they move on from them at the trade deadline? I guess there's the opportunity, but he also, you know, that's the only showing that you've seen from him so far. So what is his value across the NFL at this time, even with teams that are looking for receivers, knowing that there are other receivers that are out there being shot, like Darius Slayton from the New York Giants, Andy Isabella from the Arizona Cardinals friendship. So I mean, maybe teams wouldn't be willing to take a risk on a guy like Traquan Smith right now, who has proven to be a bit injury prone so far during his career and then had that display nationally on Monday Night Football. Uh, But, you know, look, I'm sure if the Saints got the right offer that they would consider it. But I think that right now the simple fact of the matter is that they need wide receivers. They need bodies. They need talent at that position. So shopping it away might be a little bit sort of counterintuitive to where their struggles are so far.
1: And we bring up the struggles with the wide receiving core. Do you think you wind up seeing that be a thing, like the reason why they traded for Mark Ingram to have Alvin Kamara be able to play more – of that wide receiver role and put him in those certain routes where you can have somebody that you know is reliable to get some receptions on the board while you're still waiting to see what's going on with Taysom after that brutal hit he took about a few weeks ago.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's a byproduct of of, uh, going ahead and making that move for Mark Ingram. Certainly it opens up Alvin Kamara for, additional usage in the passing game as a receiver. You know, you can use him in the slot, sort of akin to what you saw back in 2018, 2017, when Mark Ingram was a part of the offense. So it does free that up for you. I don't know how immediate that byproduct is. More so the idea of Mark Ingram immediately gives you somebody that can play, you know, 30, 20 to 30, 25 to 30 snaps in a game and take some carries off of Alvin Kamara so that the touches aren't as high as they are right now. Right now, the only player that has more touches per game in the NFL than Alvin Kamara is, King Henry, Derrick Henry out there who's making, you know, incredible plays and maybe after, you know, the uh, the Thursday night game might be leading in more M V P conversations than he already was. But, you know, Alvin Kamara right now, you want to take some of those touches off of him. You look at the guys that are second or sorry, third and fourth in terms of touches per game on average so far these, this season, and those are the guys that are dealing with injury. So you don't want Alvin Kamara lumping into that conversation. So I think that is more so what you immediately see Alvin, um, Excuse me, Mark Ingram bring, but uh, I think that him being utilized or Alvin Kamara being utilized in the passing game a bit more with Mark Ingram's presence is definitely a byproduct.
1: Talking now, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles. Looking at tomorrow afternoon's game, number one, the fact you don't have Joe Buck on the call is kind of cool. Number two, you look at, look at what they, they're going to have. It's against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home, the Caesar Superdome on Halloween night. What's going to be the big key for the Saints to come away with a big win?
2: Well, you know, you just talked about the scoring drive that the Raging Cages put together 14 plays just around five minutes, and and those are the types of drives you're going to want to see for the New Orleans Saints to keep that high-powered Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense on the sideline and keep wearing down their defense, particularly a defense right now that has a hampered secondary, which I think a lot of people look at a hampered secondary and then say, well, the Saints aren't well, something big is happening here at Tulane. I'm not sure what it is. but Something huge just happened, so we'll find out what that was. But, uh, you know, when it comes down to what you end up getting uh, with a hampered secondary against Tampa, it's not only your ability to maybe be able to rejuvenate your passing game a bit more, but those run support cornerbacks, those guys that are really good tacklers like Carlton Davis, as well as Sean Murphy Bunting, Jamel Dean dealing with an injury that helps you actually boost your opportunity to be able to attack the perimeter in the run game. So, with all of that, I think that putting together those long drives, you're going to need to convert third downs. The things were twelve, uh, excuse me, 2 of 13 the last week against Seattle. You can't have a repeat of that, and the run game helps you be able to do that because you can win early on first and second down, put yourself in third and manageable situations as opposed to third and six or longer, which is where it feels like the things have lived throughout this season. So early run game is definitely going to be a big part of it, and then, of course, being able to string together those long drives on the offensive side and get back to efficiency in the red zone. The things were 13 of 14 going into Seattle, converting red zone possessions into touchdowns, only one of three, on monday
1: night for those who are wondering and probably you as well ross desmond Ritter got sacked for a safety so now the score is seven two cincinnati the second ranked team in the country is still up
2: there you go there you go yeah i'm wondering why they were partying over here at <laughs> uh,
1: i mean and that might be the only thing they're, they're gonna party for i think tonight but before <laughs> before i let you go ross it's the halloween season i'll go ahead and throw this two-parter out for you before i let you go favorite halloween movie favorite halloween candy
2: Favorite Halloween movie, and then what was the second one?
1: Halloween candy.
2: Oh, favorite Halloween candy. Favorite Halloween candy is probably um, the the Halloween season Reese's Cup. I mean, yes. basically, like, if you ask me any candy, I'm going to say whatever that version of a Reese's Cup is. Thank you. That's probably my favorite. And by the way, it's not Reese's. It's Reese's. I don't care what anybody has to say about it. Okay, Louis. Reese's Cup. I don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I know, right? <laughs> and then when it comes to favorite Halloween movie, um, You know, I am a big-time Hocus Pocus fan, but I think I'm going to go with Practical Magic. Nice. I think
1: that's going to be,
2: yeah. I think that's one of my top, my top ones.
1: I like it, Ross. Thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road, brother.
2: Absolutely, brother. Always a pleasure. Appreciate you having me.
1: I appreciate him coming on the program every single Saturday, especially when he's out at Tulane football when they're taking on number two Cincinnati. Out there, just got married out there in New Orleans, enjoying himself. I'm sure he'll be there tomorrow for the Halloween night game. Probably a lot more energy in that stadium than at Yulman Stadium. I was trying—I was almost saying Tulane Stadium. That's been—that's been going for a while, pal. But we'll go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back. I got one final take on the baseball front, but it's not about obviously the state of the the Astros it's all about the MLB and what one particular group said that honestly it's kind of cool we'll talk about that next right here on 1037 the game and 1037thegame.com
0: just before we close up shop here on 1037 the game the famous cd is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out.
1: I don't normally get into the realm of stuff where people want to cancel things and change the names because it's offensive, especially when it comes to PETA. I try and avoid that because it's just not where I want this show to be. I don't want this to be a political thing, but... They, they brought up something the, the other day that honestly I like. So I'm going to pull up the tweet that Peter put out the other day. So they say bullpen refers to the area of bulls pen where bulls are held before they are slaughtered and saying switching to arm barn would be a home run for fans, players, and animals. Honestly, I like the idea. It's still dumb in terms of the minutia of this, all, all this stuff. It's not like whenever a few years ago they changed in the MLB the disabled list to the injured list because it was, you know, considered offensive for some reason. But at least this sounds like kind of cool. The arm barn. Like think in your head like Joe Buck or your favorite radio announcer here. Let's say Steve Sparks and Robert Ford out there. And talk about like Chris Davinsky or something coming out of the arm barn or the Yankees coming, going to the arm barn and bringing out Alfonso Soriano or El Duque firing out of the arm barn, warming up in the arm barn. It sounds dumb, but it actually kind of works. PETA, for once, I like it. MLB, I would never tell another league to bend to the knee when it comes to some of this stuff. But do this for the sake of the fan base because I think they're liking this. I think they're they're, they're liking the idea, the, the premise of it. So come up with the idea to move forward with that, and maybe we will o- we will overlook a long work stoppage that's coming. You know, that's a conversation for another day. Maybe next week I'll get to it. We'll see if I have a show next week. Not because of anything I've said on this program, but because of the fact that yeah, LSU Alabama we're trying to find out what time that game's going to be. It'll either be eleven a.m., which means no show, or two thirty, which means a super sized edition of Under the, D- the Dome with CD. We'll get back to you. Just keep an eye on the Twitter sphere, Facebook, and everything. That is under the dome and yours truly. Clint Doming. I'll be back with you maybe next week. Maybe not. Keep it posted. Peace. show low oh yeah kick it